0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif and You're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Have you ever wondered how our residential and housing areas in the city and in the country were conceptualized and designed? How did we arrive at the kind of houses that most of us live in today? From terrace houses to bungalows and low-cost apartments to high-end condominiums. In this episode, we will be tracing the history of house designs and areas in Malaysia and its relationship with society. That's where we stay affect our relationship with others. Joining me to unpack all this is Elisabina Ismail, Director of Architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia. And she's going to start by tracing back the history of housing development in the country.
1: Um, okay, thank you so much, Annie for the question. So if you look into the history of housing um, development in Malaysia, it is actually a very interesting evolution because when we talk about housing um, in Malaysia itself, it has started a long long time ago before we achieved our independence in 1957. So to understand how is the historical development of housing development in Malaysia, I think I'll, I'll first break it into few categories for easy understanding for the listener. So if we look into the first category is actually the historic housing prototype. So the historic housing prototype is actually developed in the early part of the 19th century and it has a lot of influence from the colonial and also the migration from the various different kind of ethnic groups. So and the most representative examples that actually fall in this category of historic housing prototypes are actually the shop houses and the bungalow. So the shop houses and the bungalow actually are the Early form of housing development in Malaysia. So, from from this um, typology of shop houses and the bungalow, it is actually brought in by the ideation of during the British colonization, mixing with the multiracial immigrants into Malaysia. So, and it resulted to a lot of formation of a combination of unique architectural, um, cultural, and social background of the plural society in Malaysia embedded into the design of the shop houses which consists of the Malay the Chinese the Indian influences into the design scheme of the shop houses housing. so if we look also into the historic housing prototypes and you can see that the shop houses is actually the unique kind of an urban housing form so it is actually the starting point that developed into the modern housing scheme that we have nowadays in the late 20th century in the early 21st century. So the, um, shop houses design, as you can see, the first stage, um, it is had a very kind of a narrow plan and, uh, it has, um, two, uh, two story house, uh, d- uh development where you have the ground floor for the residential purposes and, um, At the ground floor usually is where they conduct the business and also at the upper floor they have for these residential purposes. So, and the shop houses were actually mostly were built in rows with uniform facade and also in structured grid patterns with networks of roads and also back lanes. So, this kind of ideation is actually uh, evolving and gives some influences to the modern housing that I will explain later. So, from the late 19th to the early 20th century, the same time when during the Shop houses um, was was um, developed and also um, built throughout Malaysia at that time has also existed another kind form of housing known as the luxurious bungalows. So these luxurious bungalows usually were actually owned by the wealthy immigrants in the early towns and most of these luxurious bungalows were, were using the style of the straight eclectic and also has the mixture of the Chinese the Malay, Indian and European kind of architectural style. So when we move on from the um, before the 1957 or, or what we call the early independence into the 1960 and the 1970s after the independence period. This is where the second category of the modern urban housing prototypes start to evolve due to the industrialization and urbanization happening in Malaysia, which then leads to kind of a mass housing prototypes. So mass housing prototypes is actually the first starting point in Malaysia which showcases the ideation of low and middle density housing and um, the evolution of detached houses. You have terrace houses uh, semi-detached houses were developed at this time alongside with the establishment of suburb townships um, which is actually get the ideation also from the early shop houses town planning kind of principles so this era as you can see in the 1960s and the early 1970s this is where a lot of new township developed all around Kuala Lumpur and also in in the area within the Kuala Lumpur city like um Petaling Jaya which is the first satellite town um, and then it moves on to Chiraz and, and so many other um, satellite town developed throughout um, Kuala Lumpur at that time So, but in the late 1980s and the 1990s this is where the type houses known as high density flats, apartments, condominiums uh, actually the popular typologies using this international style was introduced so alongside with the development of the new material and technology so most of these um, high-density flats, apartments and condominiums are actually uh, the known projects in areas like Subang Jaya, Taman Tundur Te Ismail, Taman Tunku Abdul Rahman, Bandar Utama, Bandar Sunway and Cheras also in the Kalang Valley. So and you can see these townships actually were designed uh, to provide a kind of balance, a mass balance of mass housing for the middle class and also for the non-middle class. And this kind of housing increased rapidly because of the opening of many townships and also because of the economic booming uh, in in, in these suburb areas and also in these new satellite towns like PJs and Kuala Lumpur. So, and in overall, as you can see that based on from a lot of scholars talking about um, local housing development and typologies of modern housing in Malaysia, it can be classified into these two categories, which means that you have uh, the kind of housing in Malaysia that has the ideation of transformation of traditional housing that use the ideation of the colonialists and the new ethnic groups. And also you have the second category, which is the modern urban housing. And this modern urban housing in Malaysia is actually resulted from the rapid economic and urban urbanization process that occurs after the independence, which actually um, resulted to these um, forms of medium and high-density housing topologies within the new townships development in Kuala Lumpur and also in other parts of Malaysia, the big cities in Malaysia. Yeah, so that, that is actually the gist of the historical development of housing in Malaysia.
0: All right, so we have a bit of everything these days, right, if you think about it, but um, I guess what are some of the thoughts and factors that were taken into consideration, I guess before we decide to perhaps you know design a housing area, for example, you know
1: um well, when you talk about housing design, um you must understand first what is the meaning of housing. Okay, and if you understand housing, housing is actually can be defined as a living space and it can refer to this uh, meaning of construction and assigned usage of houses where the main purpose is actually for shelter. So if we look into the um, dictum or quotation uh, by quotes by uh, Amos Ropopo, the most famous um, philosopher and architect, he mentioned that when we understand this terminology of housing, it means that a house is actually a cultural phenomenon as the form and its partial organization is actually affected by the cultural milieu to which it belongs. So in this case, when we talk about building a house, it is very critical to solve and provide solutions for mankind which actually involve two main aspects. First, well, when we talk about housing design, we must relate it back to communal issues and how we solve communal issues. And when we talk about communal issues, it comprises religious, social activities, human safety and health. And if we look into the second aspect, is where the architectural characteristics play a major role in, in housing settlements. And this involves the aspects of workmanship, durability and quality, safety, home environment, design, planning, and also including the provision and management of public facilities. So these two important aspects is very critical, Hanif, because when we talk about housing design, usually people only thought that providing shelter for humans, a place for them to shade from sun and rain. But actually, it is more than that because if you look back into the understanding of Amas Ropopo, housing relates to cultural mailu. So cultural mailu means um, the human behavior context and and how we determine our our psychology behavior and how we determine our living stance in that way
0: that, that's interesting but how is that translated into I guess something that's a bit more uh understandable for the early people out there you know
1: um yeah I think um if I go back the concept of when I talk about the transformation of traditional housing. Okay, the most easiest example, if we talk about traditional housing, we understand that we have Malay traditional houses, okay, and then we have the, the setting of the Indian traditional houses. For instance, I'm taking example of Malay traditional houses. Everybody knows Malay traditional houses, you know. Uh when when we talk about cultural milieu, is that Um, the planning of the houses is actually determined by the the ideation of privacy between men and women, You know the segregation and the zoning of the spaces. You have the public, you have the semi-public, you have the private spaces. So when the traditional houses of the Malay, for instance, they are designed based on the culture of the Malay people and how do they integrate the culture of the Malay people with the Islamic religion. Uh, When you talk about this idea of privacy, segregation of gender and so forth, so this is the same concept when we talk about other cultural milieu like the Chetia houses. You know, the, the Indian also have their own Chetia houses. It's a traditional houses. And they also have the same kind of a concept that relate culture back into their housing scheme, into their housing design, whether it's partial organization or whether the house form itself. But if you look into the context of the modern urban housing, this ideation of the cultural milieu starts to evolve and and it starts to change. Because if you look into modern urban housing, the sense of gender segregation, the sense of privacy, the sense of safety and security like we have in a traditional Malay house is not there anymore okay it's it's lost in 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 the process of design um maybe because of the economic factors um you're trying to save costs of building design and things like that but if you can see like modern urban housing like terrace houses terrace houses design has a very kind of what we call Orderly uh, kind of a design to it where you have the porch at the front, you enter the house, you enter the living room, and then you enter the um, dining room, and you have the kitchen, which is at the back, and a little backyard. And then you go upstairs, you have the the master bedroom, the bedroom. So everything is designed according to grid line. So wherever you go, the terrace houses is all having the same kind of layout. Whether you bought the terrace houses in Kuala Lumpur, in Malacca, in Johor, or wherever places that you go, it has the same kind. Kind of a layout, it has the same kind of grid line and also have the same kind of layout sizes in that way. So, in this sense, what I'm saying is that the modern urban housing loses this touch of cultural milieu in it compared to to the traditional uh, houses because traditional houses they concern about culture they concern about identity self belonging sense of placement sense of attachment to it but the modern housing loses all of this quality and all of this value so these are actually a very critical issue that i think the modern generation need to understand because when you talk about houses where we live for 24 hours a day so it shaped our behavior so it shaped the way we live it shaped how the way we think and how the way we bring our family and also our community so these sense are not there anymore in in the modern housing
0: That was Ali Sabrina Ismail, Director of Architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia talking about housing designs in Malaysia and its relationship with the society. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanifah Rudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM nine you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharuddin and joining me this week is Ali Sabrina Ismail. She's the Director of Architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying, University of Technology Malaysia. And we're currently talking about housing developments in Malaysia and their relationship with the various societies in the country. We're going to continue the chat by looking at whether socio-economic status plays a part in the design of contemporary houses.
1: Yes, it makes sense, Hanif. Because if you can see, um, the, the and according to the recent statistic from Housing Stock Malaysia, the most common housing topologies that is purchased in Malaysia nowadays are mostly 40% is actually terrace houses. 40% is low-cost housing. Um, flat, flat houses is about 19% detached houses is about 10% same as with condominium which is also 10% semi detached houses is 6% while the other like cluster and houses is only 2%. So in this statistic it shows that most of populace in Malaysia purchase terrace houses which is about 40%. And you know that terrace houses only come in I think in limited sizes. And, and also a limited plot of land. So you have 22 by 70, you have 26 by 75. You know, that is actually the margin of of, of plot of land or sizes actually be de- being determined by the developer nowadays. Wherever you go, throughout Malaysia, we have the same set of planning layout. The only differentiate things that we have is only the facade treatment. Some are colored black, some are maybe... Um, Colored into different cream color or things like that with a little bit different identity of design on the facade treatment. But basically, the inner part of the terrace houses is the same. So, if you were mentioning that um, the housing design that we have is differentiated via the class or socioeconomic status. Yes, because you can see that housing design in Malaysia, the types of supply housing that we have actually divided into three broad categories. You have the low cost, the medium cost and also the high cost. So these three categories, like the low cost, usually there is a minimum size to it, medium cost a little bit bigger and higher cost, you know, you have these bungalows and with a lot of land, ample land for you to do um, activities within the house and things like that. So... This is actually the thing that we have to look back again when we talk about housing design, how actually we want to differentiate it because when we talk about um, identity, most of the design facade is identical and this is where I always like to use the example of looking back to the traditional houses. Because traditional houses, if you can see, they have the same sizes but the way how they design the houses is actually according to the needs of the people you know, it needs to the, to the user itself. Like you can see the Rumah Melaka design is, is the same sizes, a little bit bigger here and there, but it has the same um, kind of a layout with the Rumah Negeri for instance, a traditional house. But the layout inside is actually the more value towards the, the culture of the people who use the house in that sense. So this is where, like I mentioned before, we are missing this um, value of Mailu culture into the housing design. And when we segregate this housing design by according to economic status, by according to class, so at the end of the day, they give a kind of a margin. You know, for instance, the rich people only live on the side of the town, okay? And and maybe the the low-cost people live on the other side of the town. So when you have this kind of segregation, there is no mixing between the higher income, the low income, and the middle income people. And, And this is where the ideation of community integration or social cohesion doesn't come into play. And this is quite a danger because when you have a kind of a living settlement that actually segregate the society, social cohesion cannot happen. And also what I'm saying is that um, the formation of identity and what what I call is that... um, integration of society it doesn't work that way because we are separating them between the socioeconomic status and class so it's quite a danger actually and when you talk about unity integration of society you know the rich become much richer the poor become much poorer and middle class still stay middle class as it is so this is where the gaps also happens in a lot of um settlements throughout malaysia
0: Mm, Yeah, that's a very uh, I guess good point to somehow uh, bring up because I think that's that's essentially the problem in Malaysia, right? If you think about it, like like there's no natural and organic interaction between people of different uh, class because they can never mingle together because they don't live in the same area, right? Technically, if you think about it,
1: yes, that's it, that's it. So that that's where that's where what I'm saying is that social segregation occurs, but. This kind of, uh, um, what you call that, um, ideation of planning actually was started by the British in Malaysia when they start to have this town grid planning according to settlements, you know. And as you can see, like uh, what I mentioned in history, like in Kuala Lumpur itself, they segregated uh, into different segments. Like when you have these uh, shop houses, it's at the one end of of the Kuala Lumpur and you have a quarter side of, of the... Um, Bungalows or whatever it is, because houses, the European quarter is actually on the west side of of the town, of the KL town. So, this is the the starting point of the great pattern of of, of housing prototypes start to occur in Malaysia and it starts to evolve up until now. But but at the end, when we talk about the segregation of society, you know, you are breaking up the society. What I'm agreeing to you. So, how can we foster unity? You know, and then how can we strengthen social ties when, like what you say just now, honey? When there is no sense of attachment, or maybe there's no sense of placement, or sense of belonging to the society itself. So this is quite worrying, actually. And how we're going to build communal spirit, you know, between the society. So this is something that I think a challenge for us that we need to look back on how the way we live nowadays, and how can we improve for the betterment for the future.
0: Alice is also of the opinion that communal facilities can be the spaces that can allow for dwellers of different backgrounds to congregate and mingle with each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you are right, Hanif, because now what I'm saying is that the lacking things that we have in our modern housing, especially our living settlement in Malaysia, is that we don't have enough communal facilities or public amenity space you know this is this is quite worrying because uh sometimes when you look at the modern settlement or the living settlement that we have nowadays we have a lot of rows and rows of terrace houses but we don't provide enough public amenities or communal facilities if you have a better communal facilities with good physical aspects, with multi function spaces, it can cater all groups of people, not only comprising the children, the youth and the elderly age users. And actually, it, it caters for all. Maybe you are from a different uh, suburb area or different uh, settlement or neighbourhood, you still can come to a different neighbourhood and you can engage with those people in the neighbourhood if you have a very good communal facilities or a nice public amenities like a public park, for example. So this is where I have to look back again to this ideation um, of when we design a, a living settlement or when we design a residential area, it must have and it must be supported by a good design of public facilities because it can give benefit to the development of not only the dwellers who, who live within that area, but also dwellers that might come from other areas. They also can enjoy the same public facilities with the dwellers that, who are staying there. So, And it can benefit this in terms of social life development from three main aspects. And as you can see, the first one is that, Uh, By having a well-functioning community space, it can reduce the level of crime rate within the settlement area itself. Because if you have a frequent usage of public facilities, the communities from two different suburbs or two different areas will tend to interact. And then they can recognize each other and then they can healthily socialize with each other. So this at the end can stimulate the feeling of belongingness, you a sense of responsibility that among them, to have among them. And as a result from this, it can create a sense of surveillance within their settlement. And this can encourage a kind of a safer living territory. But the one of the living settlement that we have nowadays, we're lacking, actually, we lack of public facilities amenities and these community spaces. We have playground, but it's too small, and sometimes it's too packed. Or maybe we have public park, but it is not well managed, you know, or, or maybe it's, it's not good, well taken care of, okay? So these are the things, uh, when I talk about communal space, it's not only... Will lower down and the crime rate and and have a good interaction. But also at the same time, we did enliven the housing settlement to become the center of attraction for societal focal point. So this is will actually um, foster, like I mentioned just now, unity, social cohesion, regardless of different religious backgrounds, ethnicity, or race. So it can create a kind of good values among the among the users, and also can build communal spirit. So um, that's why we need to look back into how we design our public amenities, especially in the living settlement.
0: Mm. What about the quality of the amenities? I mean like you said um sometimes yeah we have a playground but it's too small we have a park but it's not well managed. Um how important is it to um make sure that the quality of these amenities are not only up to par but also accessible for people from different all, all walks of life, right?
1: Yeah. Um now when we talk about um, there are two things that we have to look into. One is the quantity of the amenities and also another one is the quality of the amenities. So if we look in terms of the aspect of uh, quality performance, for instance, I think um, there's there's a lot of reports done actually on um, housing issues. And, and there are scholars who pointed out that there are actually um, facilities, but then it is badly deteriorated. And also because of poor design, insufficient maintenance, you know, and a lot of um defective outcomes. And also at the same time, you have various defects of construction and and things like that. So if we look into this matter, um I think that's that's we need to take an action on how actually we can improve the quality. So one method that we can use is based on this ideation of sustainable adaptation. So sustainable adaptation here means is that um, changing of its use but still retaining the, the original condition of the public spaces or the amenities itself to the most and also to prolong its useful life. So, for instance, we can use this uh, concept of when I talk about maintenance or adjustment or reuse or upgrading the, the amenities actually to accommodate to the needs of the current condition. So, in this sense... Terms like renovation, refurbishment, remodeling, reinstatement, you know, retrofitting, rehabilitation, recycling, actually uh, can come into the process of adaptation for these uh, amenities, public amenities, especially in, in, in the um, uh, housing settlements or housing areas. For instance, I would like to give an example in Singapore, for instance. So in Singapore, what they did was that to solve the issues of um public residential building and, and the amenities that was built in the year 1970s or the 1980s, what the government did was that uh, the Singapore government actually did not um, demolish or, or destroy or actually um what you call it, diminish the the public facilities and and uh, that have in the in the um, housing settlement. But what they what they did was that they embrace a kind of a heavily subsidized building adaptation program. So they they uplift you know they refurbish and they retrofit back these public amenities so it can be used back to fulfil the current condition or the current context and the current needs of the society. So in Malaysia itself, we actually lacking in this sense. So I think um, we need to have a proper kind of a strategic procedure and how to handle these existing public amenities and maintain it, how to refurbish it, you know how to rehabilitate it and re- retrofitting it to make the facilities that we have within the housing settlements using this concept of sustainable adaptation.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that that's that's interesting. But um, at the end of the day, I think if you think about it, um, the property market also follows uh the concept of demand and supply right so if for say for example if there is a market for high end luxury condominiums out there it's still going to be problematic for for us to think about the concept of um getting public to mingle with each other when they prefer that form of exclusivity where they can just perhaps you know be within their own comfort zone and bubble you know if you know what i mean
1: yeah um i think you are right so Sometimes um, this this goes back to how we design and develop our towns and cities, you know. Um, I know for, for mostly like higher income people, you know, they like to have their own areas uh, and they like to, to live within their own residential or their own um Uh, housing schemes and things like that but this is where we when as a town planner you know as a town planner or city planner I think we have to look back on actually how do we design our town scheme and also how do we plan our cities and our town so in, in this sense we still can actually Create social cohesion, we still can have unity among the society. Like what I'm saying is that if you create a lot of public parks, for instance, uh, whether you are rich people, middle income, high income, low income, everybody will use the same park, maybe for recreation purposes, for sports, and things like that. So, this is where actually integration also can happen. You know, so what I'm saying is that we need to have a lot and more public amenities that actually can accommodate the various needs of society from the young to the old from different genders women and men and things like that so this is will actually um maintain what we called uh this uh communication or what we call c- social connection between different different background of of society but in Malaysia sadly we don't have a lot of this kind of facilities so yeah so I think we need to increase more in terms not only in terms of the quantity but also in terms of the quality
0: yeah we have a lot of uh, developments taking place here in Malaysia I think uh, especially in the Klang Valley um, and so, do you think we have enough time to, I guess, to rectify this problem? Was it something that can't be rectified, considering that I think uh, our town was already, I guess, planned and designed to be this way?
1: Um, there is still room for improvement, you know, because and and this room of improvement actually starts from this ideation of awareness. If everybody starts to have a sense of awareness, I think. The, the heart to change is still there, Hanif. So, um, because there's, there's, there's no question like never too late, right? So, because we, we still have the chance, we still have the room to improve, and the public has the point to do it. So, because, but it has to come back to our awareness itself. So, how does can we give back to the society, and how can we build a better living space for all walks of community? So I think this goes back to not only the awareness from the professional people, but also to the public itself. So how are we going to protect our environment, our areas, our public facilities and things like that and the way how we live. I think this is uh, a thing that we should do actually as a society. And when we talk about that, uh, when we talk about living uh, or housing scheme, uh, it's not only that we talk about living comfort. But also we need to, to talk about how to improve better living condition and can, how can we provide ample emotional comfort within our living um, dwellers and things like that. So these are the things that we also need to look into.
0: You've been tuning in to I Love KL, and that was Ali Sabrina Ismail. She's the director of architecture from the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying, University Technology Malaysia, and we've been talking about housing developments and how they influence our relationship with each other. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and you can also find our podcast on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week, only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.